When Juddy left the Eagles, he came back and played us over at Subi Oval. And uh, Juddy famously had to have his shoulders taped because he had pretty bad shoulders. And Brett Jones, for whatever reason, thought he'd poke the bear and, you know, tell Juddy to put his head over and test the shoulders out and give win a hardball or whatever. And without uh, missing a beat, Juddy snapped back and goes, mate, my shoulders are F from carrying you blokes for the last five years. So. <laughs> and welcome to Quinny's Cult Heroes, thanks to the Ladbrokes Listen Network. Now, if you believe in lucky charms, you're going to love our guest today because he spent 11 seasons in the AFL system. Five of the 11 seasons, the team he was with won the AFL Premiership. Welcome, Matt, the lucky charm spanger. <laughs> thanks very much, mate. Thanks for having me. Well, it's just absolutely sensational looking through your footy CV. We're going to talk about the journey, the good luck, the bad luck. There was plenty of both. It's good to see you looking so fresh today because during your career, you had a lot of injuries along the way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of uh, most journeys. I've probably had more injuries than I would have liked, but uh, to your point, was surrounded by plenty of success and lucky to get a little bit of hold of it myself. Now, let's go back to when you are a youngster playing your sport. Obviously, you loved your footy from day dot, but also keen on things like athletics, and you played a bit of cricket as well. Yeah, a bit of all, uh, a bit of everything. Like, I was still sort of am happy to give anything a go, really. Uh, lucky enough, went to a, a decent school in Melbourne, part of the APS program that allowed you to just almost sample everything. So, uh, you know, and then as things got a little bit more serious, you sort of dial into to one or two, which tended to be footy or athletics for me. And the athletics, what were your one woods there? Mainly the distance stuff. Uh, never, never uh, elite at that, but really enjoyed it and was competitive at that level and uh, ran steeplechase at state, which was fun, um, but didn't go very well on the day. <laughs> what was your favourite distance in terms of running? Uh, oh, like 1500s and anything above 2K, really. So you were one of those sickos that at pre-season footy training would actually enjoy the repetitive sprint work over trips. Yeah, disappointingly, uh, was one of those people who uh, thrived in pre-season and uh, always welcomed a time trial because I knew it was one time I'd actually have the <laughs> have the wood over a few others. But uh, as the old adage goes in footy, that doesn't actually translate to getting a kick. So, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, sometimes it didn't help me as much as I would have liked. Now, you went to Xavier College. Tell us about your junior sporting career. Yeah, well, uh, started Xavier. Uh, well, back then it could only start from year five, so lucky enough. Uh, went uh, went from day dot there and – uh, it's probably the first time you got to play sports so regularly there, I think. Um, you know, you're playing once, twice a week and uh, so for the school and then on top of that, then you're playing your junior footy at your local club. So Q Rovers was my local footy club and we were a really decent team, actually. We um, uh, lucky enough to play some good players. I think four ended up on a, on an AFL list oh, from, wow. from that. And then, yeah, and uh, another another guy who probably was the best of us all ended up going over to the Sandfield and winning two McGarry's. So... Uh, we were definitely a good side, um, and then uh, and then that sort of just stemmed to sort of fueled the fueled the fire, I suppose. And then as you get older, you get luckily enough you get picked to go to representative sides, and every every side you get picked for, every step you get with development, you just begin to think, oh, is it possible to play AFL? And uh, it was certainly always a desire. Uh, and then you just sort of just keep going through the doors that open. I'd love to know your strike rate then of games you played win to losses throughout your junior career into your senior career? Because I don't reckon there'd be many footy players on the planet with a better win-loss record. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it ended up at. I haven't gone through and done the sums, but uh, I, I think we won 60 in a row at, at juniors. So, um, 
and lucky enough to have plenty of you know premiership success there too, which was so yeah, I was just been blessed in that respect. So really enjoyed my time in footy as a result. Now Xavier's a proud footy factory. Any other players make it through the grades that were going through school with you at the same time? Uh, not in my year specifically, but uh, when I was in year 12, Joey Kennedy uh, was in year 10, so he played. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years below that, Alex Johnson, Dan Hanabry, and then a few above were the Luke Balls. But uh, in my specific time period, it was uh, it was mainly just me. Now, talk us about going into the 2005 national draft. You must have had a pretty good idea you were going to get drafted. What teams did you speak to and how were you feeling on the night? Yeah, well, uh, part of the process is you go to – I was lucky enough I got picked for draft camp. So um, your interview process up there, which is always uh, – back then it was at the RAS in Canberra and then you uh, – we went up there and you, I spoke to probably, I think, uh, eight, eight or so clubs. Um, I think you need to have at least five nominate you to um, – to go to that to the draft camp, so you at least know there's some interest. Uh, I'd spoken to West Coast and Hawthorne in my bottom age year of under 18, so I knew that they were interested. And then, uh, as it turned out, got got the name read out by West Coast. And what was it like when you heard them read your name with pick number 34 in the draft? Yeah, I was pretty excited. Like you know, it's sort of everything you'd uh, wanted to work for. And I, um, oh, sort of jubilation is probably the best way to say it. I. I uh, I definitely wear my heart on my sleeve at sometimes. Like I was, yeah, like emotional in the best kind of way. So I uh, was just sitting back then. You had to listen on the radio. It wasn't televised mm-hmm. or anything like that. So um, I was just sitting in my bedroom with some close mates. Name got read out, and uh, and sure enough, yeah. And you know, it all happens pretty quickly. Within like five days, you're living in Perth. Was there any trepidation about relocating to the other side of the country, or were you just itching to get cracking? Uh, initially, it was more excitement. Um, I think probably like a couple of days after it set in, it was like, oh, goodness, you know, it's a bit of a big move for an 18-year-old. I'd certainly ne- I'd never been to Perth at that stage and um, and hadn't really travelled around Australia that greatly. But, uh, but I mean, at the same time, you kind of know that there's only, at that stage there was only 16 teams and, you know, you can't uh, always end up in Melbourne. I suppose the funny thing about Victorian draft prospects is they've just got such a high percentage about um, ending up in Victoria. It might hit a little bit harder if you don't end up there, but... You, know, you speak to someone from the NT, like they know they're moving. So, yeah. um, so it's quite funny just the mindset. But look, um, I think it was a blessing in many respects to go to West Coast. I learned a lot and uh, set me up. I think. Now you walked into a West Coast Eagles team that had just come off losing one of the all-time great grand finals against the Sydney Swans. John Walsfold was the coach. They had a superstar lineup, including the likes of Chris Jard, Daniel Kerr, and Ben Cousins, just to name a few. What was it like walking through the gates at the Eagles for the first time? Uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous, certainly. Um, and the funny thing about players, uh, uh, as a under-18 or even as a fan before getting into the system, you probably don't even really acknowledge that they are people as well. So like, I remember meeting uh, Juddy and Cuzzy for the first time and they introduced themselves by their first names, which of course you'd do that. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, of course you're Chris Judd, you don't have to introduce yourself to me like I know who you are. But um, you forget about that and then uh, – I just remember the first training session, you know, a bit of lane work or whatever it might have been, you look up and you are kicking the ball to someone who you absolutely admired growing up or you, like, you just think he's a superstar in someone like Juddy and, you know, you dribble the ball on the green, you're like, oh my God, they think I'm <laughs> horrific. So, um, look, all those things. But they those they pass pretty quickly because they – those nerves, because the players are great, they're really welcoming and they, they do humanise themselves and it makes you relax with them a lot quicker. 
What was the mood like in the camp? Because as I said, the Eagles had just come off losing that grand final. Was it tense? Was it high pressure thinking this time we've got to go one better? And did you feel that as such a young man? Uh, I Yeah, I, I definitely did. And I've, the way I could describe it is probably there was just a lot of resolve in the group. I think um, they were uh, adamant that they should have won it and they know there was an opportunity to slip and they didn't shy away from it. Um, first week there, they reviewed the game. Um, went over some players on what they could get better from that, uh, which would have been gut-wrenching for some of the players who played in that. And then even um, at the end of that preseason, we had a, a little bit of a, a hype tape for the season launch or whatever it might be. And then that actually started with frames of the players being you know devastated when the siren goes and even showing the Leo Barry mark in the thing about – and then showing all the work in the preseason after that, like the running and all that. Um, so use it as a motivational tool more than anything – um, and then, look, I'm not saying that's why the, the results ended up the way they were. Lots of things happened throughout the course of a season, but uh, definitely helped them, I think. Now, you mentioned that you did athletics, and I dare say that would have come in handy when you're doing a pre-season with those sort of guys because they were known as being superstar footballers but also incredibly hard mm. trainers. Can you remember watching Ben Cousins, for instance, and Chris Judd going through their paces and thinking, oh, my goodness, this is why they're elite? Yeah, definitely. They... Um, Oh, look, footy definitely shifted as well in terms of uh, high performance and load management. I think uh, back then it was uh, – and particularly pre-seasons, it was, you know, almost every session working in the ground sort of mentality. But those guys really thrived on it. So um, for me, going into that system, you wanted to be part of that because it sort of instilled that attitude of oh, don't waste a session. Um, and look, yeah, I mean, Juddy's running capacity, certainly famous um, – Certainly had probably more actual aerobic capacity than Cuzzy, but Cuzzy would push himself to limits that I don't think even, you know, even I think of as hard as I've ever gone, I've never got to the way he put himself in a hole. Um, and that sort of brought people along for the journey from that that point of view. So, um, and even our sessions though, like we were famous for doing, um, what do they call them, like a lemon twister at the last session of, of the pre-season. So you do a really hard session as like the last one before your Christmas break. And Wusher would often, after a running session, everyone's absolutely on the ground, dead, and he would often go, right, do it again. And you just oh. sort of have to find something extra. And we might not finish it, uh, the second attempt, but um, it was just sort of the mentality of like, you think you've got nothing left to give? Like, you do, so let's go. Um, and that was strange as a first-year player. Like, you're not in – even then I was sort of getting a little bit of um, – you get taken out of some running things as a first-year player from a load management point of view, but – you still did most of it. And then, um, yeah, it was uh, it's pretty amazing to watch guys put themselves in a hole like that. We talk about those superstars of the team, and I mentioned Judd, Kurt, and Cousins. How did they mix with each other both during the training sessions and socially as well? Because it seemed from a distance you had Judd and Cousins quite different personalities, but it linked up beautifully come game day. Well, that's the beauty of footy or sport in general or team sports, you know, the melting pot that is um, – yeah, different personalities can make it work. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, public life and even the ones played out, you know, in the media post-footy, you could tell all those personalities are pretty different archetypes really. But uh, I think it all stems from if your foundation of what you're trying to achieve as a team is, uh, I suppose, grounded and also universal, then you can make everything else kind of work. So um, – and at their core, even though every person – has got their faults and some of those more publicly aired than others, they were never bad people. Like they always had the best intention of their teammates and always the best intention of the club. They just made some bad decisions, potentially some of them at the time. 
Now, you personally, unfortunately, your first year at AFL level was hindered by injury. How hard was it being sidelined through injury and then so far away from home? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I uh, I took it well at to- the whole time. Um, yeah, I, ca- I came into the year, did the preseason. I'd had a, a lingering like osteitis injury from under 18s, and then after doing you know the preseason, it flared up a little bit, and then it was decided to go in for surgery. So I think in many respects, because uh, that then finished the year, um, I think I played maybe one sort of game at the back end of the year just to tick the legs over. But it was almost you know your uh, year done. It made it easier to wrap my head around what was required from a football sense. Um, but there was definitely a moment, I think in sort of uh, like May or June, I remember coming home for the first time in a while, catching up with some friends, and you're like, you know, it is nice to see everyone. It was pretty hard to go back, knowing that you were just going back to do rehab. Um, and although you had good relationships, um, they're certainly not as tight as, you know, the you know, the 10 years you've got with schoolmates or so. So it was that was challenging and um, I was living with a host family at the time who, who were really great support for me. Uh, but again, it's a host family, it's not your real family. So all those little things, even though it's the best of a bad situation, can still play on your mind. But uh, look like everything, like it passes and you, and you find a way to get through it. Grand final day, the Eagles get back there and once again up against the Sydney Swans. Another nail-biter this time, though. It goes the way of the Eagles. What was it like watching that day? Pretty fun. Uh, um, yeah, I think, uh, look, that, that was my first experience in that position and um, one where I actually was able to really enjoy it because you knew you were never going to play that game, so you were just purely happy for your teammates, for what they were trying to achieve and um, – and so for me, I just remember thoroughly enjoying the day. And then, uh, and even though I was an absolute no one first year player, like you're back home with your fam- with your fam- family and friends, and then they're all in West Coast garb, even though they're you know diehard supporters of other teams, because um, they just want they want your team to win, even though they I'm not even out there. So there was a lot of fond memories from from that day, and um, some really close friends who played in that game, you're just so happy for them and even looking back on how their careers have finished, you know, for most that is the highlight of the career or the pinnacle of the career. So for them to achieve that, yeah, it's pretty special. Now, I think it's safe to say the Eagles enjoyed that premiership and partied long into the night and the night after that and the night after that. How different was the pre-season going into the following year with the club compared to what happened 12 months earlier? Yeah, pretty pretty different. Uh, we had some incidents over that. Um, over that uh, break off season, that certainly warranted a discussion of behaviour about. Um, so it definitely adjusted the psyche of of some players, and um, and I think uh, there was certainly a portion of players that weren't in the twenty two from the year before who you could say uh, the type of players now as a coach you'd love to have to do everything right, get the best out of themselves, but probably just weren't good enough to make that team on the day. Um, and I reckon they were pretty salty about some of the behaviour in the off-season. And then um, some some fractures started to happen from then on. And then, uh, yeah, and then I suppose the demise of the next three or so seasons is probably started from that point. Well documented. Now, you get through that year, unfortunately, doesn't quite work out too well personally, but the following year you crack in, you make your debut, ironically, against the Sydney Swans. What do you remember about the lead-up to your first AFL game? The lead up, uh, oh, I'm trying to – someone's asked me this before and I honestly can't even really remember when I was told I was playing. 
Like it sounds so ridiculous. The one thing I remember from that week was the advice I got from some of the players about the process of just going out there. And one in particular, Bo Waters, um, just said, look, when you run out, um, don't try and not take it all in. Like it's different. Like so actually enjoy that moment, um, you know, run through the banner, live it up, and then, you know, very quickly switch back on. But take that however many seconds or a minute to actually – so I can, otherwise it'll distract you anyway. I just remember that sitting with me and it was pretty sound advice. I'm not going to say I, you know, killed it on the day, but um, certainly I felt prepared once the siren was I was blind to actually play and do my role. But, um, but yeah, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the, the game, like West Coast, we didn't do a jumper presentation. If we did, I can't remember it. Like it's, I, um, it was kind of just a, you get in the game and, where we go. And do you think that's probably why you don't remember it that clearly because they didn't make a fuss of it? And did that approach help you? Do you like the fact it was probably just normalised where the fact you can't even remember it, they didn't make too much of a song and dance about it? Or would you have liked to have been celebrated so you could bottle the moment a little bit more? Yeah, I think uh, oh, I think in hindsight you probably bottle the moment a little bit more. Yep. I think it is um, – I mean, I was lucky enough to play at least more than one, but for some players, like, that's it. Yep. So uh, there's no harm in making that a special moment. It's – you know, ultimately what everyone's trying to achieve initially and then your goal realigns once you play that first game. So mm. uh, to their credit, afterwards, I know the, the stuff they give you after the game, West Coast do that really well. It was probably um, – but leading up to it, I just <laughs> I can't place it. Now, you play for West Coast, you find your place in the team, but the pull of home started to get to you as well. There was a little bit of a debate about when you go back and West Coast probably had to twist your arm to get you to stay that additional year. Yeah, a little bit. I um, – Oh, I, w- I wasn't anti-staying at West Coast. It was probably more uh, – I, I had a good manager for me in terms of someone who um, kept me in the game probably longer than I should have been and helped me. But uh, he was always looking to see like – Who was that? Uh, Colin Young. So he was always – Young, he was always happy to test the waters and see what was out there, but also have pretty real conversations. And look, I, um, Darren Glass at that stage was probably the peak of his power. I was making All-Australian as a fullback. Adam Hunter, very good player, um, playing centre-half back. And then the young players around us that they drafted the year after I got there, Eric McKenzie, Will Schofield and Mitch Brown, all key position defenders. And, uh, look, I love to back myself in, but um, you can tell that Eric McKenzie was going to be a very quality uh, key defender. Same with Will Schofield and Mitch Brown had some knee injuries, but they were all probably better footballers than I was. Um, And so... Uh, I always thought maybe I'd like to finish my career in Victoria anyway, so it was kind of a bit of a um, like explore the options. Uh, and then as it sort of uh, as it played out, I think the the club that I was most keen to go to didn't really eventuate. And then I was like, well, I don't want to go for the sake of going. I'd rather stay here for the extra year. So you did exactly that. You ended up playing twenty six games for the West Coast Eagles, and I think historically. It surprised me when I look back at your career that you played more games for West Coast than Hawthorne. Obviously, you achieved so much with the Hawks, and I think a lot of us have that image of you being a Hawthorne star and you did all these great things, but it was fascinating to look back and see you played more games for the Eagles. Yeah, I suppose the one extra year on that list helps. I probably was averaging a similar amount of games per year, to be honest, but um, you're right. Like, yeah, most people certainly see me as a Hawthorne footballer or didn't even know I played footy before coming to the Hawks, which is fair enough, too. I mean, it wasn't as if any of the games I had were... Overly amazing uh, before that, but um, but look, it's it is one of those things. Yeah, I enjoyed my time with the Eagles and still have really close mates who uh, were still playing there. Favorite memory for the West Coast Eagles? Uh, favorite memory? Uh, 
Oh, like there's there's a few in terms of we uh, we we played a, a game uh, against St Kilda. It was actually my first win for the club. Um, that we that when St Kilda were really good, then we shouldn't have won the game, and um, it kind of felt like there was the start of the wheels turning over there a little bit. Um, so that was nice, but mostly, I mean, I'd love to say footy is like the the primary memory of my time, my enjoyable time over there. But it was probably more the mateship. It was uh, the nature of what happened with the senior players on the list. Uh, quite a few of them left by their own design or through the club's design. And then um, it was like we were a really tight knit group that I suppose uh, twenty three and under uh, age group. And so the friendships and the and uh, is probably the major thing I get uh, from my time there. Who are you still mates with from the club? Oh, well, Will Schofield just finished up, but uh, you know still and Josh Kennedy just finished last year. That's probably our age, but players were still playing. Luke Shuey is the main one who's still floating around. Shannon Hearn was it was my year in the draft as well. So. Um, but, you know, close friends from there, Sam Butler, Bo Waters, uh, really tight. Um, you know, we've all gone to each other's weddings. Will Scoville was my best man. So those, uh, yeah, those sort of relationships stay with you. That's outstanding. Now, throughout the course of your career, you're a great clubman. You were loved by everyone. You never got in trouble except one time I could find. Talk to me about Demon Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I was wondering where you were going to go with that. Yeah. Um, oh, quite funny. Yeah. Jeez, it's a good mate of mine uh, whose name is Dave. Yeah, he's never let that down. Um, oh, it was one of those things. I actually remember the incident pretty – it was a good lesson for me to learn as a young player and one that, I, you know, you'd relay to, to other young players. In effect, he was a massive Demons fan, um, still is, and then – we were playing the D's that week. I think Matt Rosa was going to tag um, Travis Johnson. So this is sort of gives you a time frame of what, what year it was. And uh, and he rang me just as a, for a friendly chat. He's like, oh, what's uh, what's going on? Also, you know, what's going on this week? I was like, oh, mate, like, you know, matchup's pretty usual. I was, and I, it was a bit of a throwaway line. I was like, oh, I think um, Matty Rosa might go to Johnson. I was like, oh, that was the nothing comment. At least I thought it was. Anyway, but I didn't realise how big a fan he was and he was actually a, a serial poster on one of the forums and then he uh, made light of that, like from, I think it was like a comment like, or from a, a good source, whatever, and then some other equally big footy fan has <laughs> gone, oh, you know, Demon Dave, didn't you say that, you know, your mate got drafted to West Coast and then someone's gone through the transcripts and said, yeah, it's... Matt Spanger, and then all of a sudden there was an article in the paper and it got blown up to be something far more significant than it was. But I was actually over in Melbourne at the time, um, I think, uh, when the article came out. So then to fly back, like, you know, tail between your legs, was uh, it was pretty embarrassing and a good lesson really to make sure that even your closest friends, they don't mean to say things or don't mean to cause you harm, but you're just better off not saying anything at all. Loose lips sink ships. Yeah. So what happened, John Walsfold? Did he call you into the office or give you a call and say, walk me through this? Uh, he was pretty good about it. He um, he just said, oh, mate, like, uh, these things happen, like, harsh way to learn the lesson. He goes, everyone's probably told their mum or something, like, something. Uh, but uh, they, they all moved on pretty quickly. I think the fact that, uh, um, you know, West Coast were going well at the time, you know, 
you can make light of those situations. If that's something that affects the result or your team's not going well, it probably can be bigger than what it is. But certainly, yeah. Look, he, as I said, my mates never, ever let it down. My mates still often, after they've had a few beers, will start calling him Demon Dave. <laughs> um, for his bucks do, we made him dress up as a demon. Like So he really can't. You can't shake it and probably will, won't for life. But he felt horrible and he was really apologetic too. But did you ring him and say, mate, you're killing me. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, at the time it was – it felt a lot more serious than that like at the time and then I was like, oh, you absolutely accept the apology. Like, he was he was uh, very disappointed but um, now we laugh about it certainly. <laughs> well, we can laugh about it and it's good that John Walsfold could laugh about it as That's well because right. if he was pretty angry about it and there was ramifications, then Demon Dave might still be in froth and bubble. <laughs> I think so. Now, you went from the West Coast Eagles to the Sydney Swans, another incredibly successful club. What do you recall about going into the Bloods for the first time and how different was it from the Eagles? Yeah, it was, it was different uh, and is different, I assume, still. I, uh, oh, the best way I can describe the fundamental difference to, about the clubs – I've used this before, is West Coast were definitely a business-orientated machine. You could tell there was uh, efficiencies and decisions made with business uh, priorities in mind. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's going well for them. It has for you know their existence in the league. Sydney were, for mine, far more about like the footy club feel. Um, not that they weren't trying to be professional, um, but understood that the market they were in, the appeal of their club for players was the like the wholesome feeling that you got and the family feeling in there. Um, so that was a noticeable shift, I reckon, and a lot of that stems from geography, like just the fact that almost everyone coming to the Swans, particularly back then, you know, pre-academies, is from elsewhere. So I think we only had two local players or three on the list at the time from New South Wales at all and maybe only one from or two from Sydney. So... Um, whereas if you go to another club, guys will often hang out with their mates outside the club, whereas you go there and this is it. This is the only people you really know, at least initially. And I think that uh, that translated to like the on-field bond um, and sort of the brotherhood that they have. And I know they talk about the Bloods culture, but there was that was just a, a label for something, that for a feeling that every other club is trying to get really. So um, – and it's uh, – oh, I enjoyed my time. It was only a short time, but I enjoyed it there. So two years, you played some good footy and you played footy up forward as opposed to with the Eagles where you were down back. You kicked more goals than games you played in as well. So you did have success with the Swannies. Yeah, well, uh, that was almost by chance. I ended up playing forward. I like, certainly didn't go there as a forward, but uh, the NEFL competition at the time wasn't overly strong. Uh, and then we played a game against one of the teams – that, uh, yeah, as I said, wasn't going well. And I think at quarter time it was, you know, 65 points to zero. They hadn't had an inside 50. And uh, basically the coach at the time just goes, everyone just stay in your position, like, don't change ends. Um, so I went forward for that and then had a good second quarter. And they are like, oh, just we'll see how you go, stay there. End up uh, having a good run of it. Played forward again for the next two weeks. Same sort of results. Again, like the, uh, it's not the, it's anyone's fault, but the competition wasn't uh, – Super, but then it just a, a position opened up. So um, LRT normally plays the role that I that I played those games in, and he was injured at the time, so a role was available. And then yeah, it was lucky enough to stay in the team. You know, pretty much to the end, we played finals that year. Lost lost to Hawthorne, funnily enough, in the semi, but uh, got my first mm-hmm. taste of finals experience. Thought it was able to make a contribution. It was it was an enjoyable time. 
and 12 months later, the Swans go on to win the grand final. Unfortunately, that year, things didn't quite go to script for you. No, it was uh, – I'd had some injuries certainly early days of the Eagles and they were – were, I said they were – well, mentioned the groins earlier with osteitis and then there were shoulders in amongst those ones as well. Um, they were all impact injuries. Sydney was the time – I started to get a lot of soft tissue injuries and uh, came back pre-season going really well um, – and then obviously finishing the team the year previous in the side felt well placed to actually um, you know stamp your your spot in the team, and then did a hammy in preseason that kept me out for about four months. So uh, it was a decent one, and uh, from there I was just chasing my tail. I was so desperate to get back, probably uh, probably pushing a little bit more. Couldn't really get back to where I wanted to. Um, yeah, we didn't find a suit. Kept having some recurring pain, and by the time we sold it, you know. Swans are making a good run, pretty hard to break into those sides sort of late in the year uh, and, yeah, just couldn't get in. So that one that one actually hurt a lot. Um, the funny thing about grand finals is they'll pick a squad of 30 initially for that week So because um, you don't really need many more bodies than that uh, for training sometimes. So you're always in the 30. I've always been in that group. So you're kind of thereabouts but you're not good enough to, to play. So being one of those, or back then, eight players who's not playing, uh, it's yeah, it's a pretty shitty situation. You spoke about how excited you were in 2006 to be part of the Eagles squad that won the premiership. I dare say it was quite a different story in 2012, where if it wasn't for these bad luck and the bad injuries that kept you sidelined throughout the early part of the year, there's a big chance you could have been running out there on grand final day. Yeah, that's right. You never know, you know, got to have form yourself as well so you absolutely can't say it was a definitive thing and I by no means was the uh was the most hard luck story that year Ben McGlynn famously missed out did his hamstring in the first final and couldn't get it right in time to come back and uh yeah undeniably he's he was the stiffest of of anyone on the list but um yeah it's an unfortunate one like where you if yeah you're right it was a very different feeling whereas uh and not to say I wasn't happy for your teammates you'd much rather be uh, feeling that way yourself in that moment um, with the rest of your teammates very happy about what they've tried to achieve. And you get over that feeling pretty quickly, but uh, but it definitely hurts. And then it also hurts the following week when um, – and not by uh, any ill intention, but the nature of the week that follows a grand final is the guys who play in it have got a whole bunch of responsibilities they've got to do uh, in terms of appearances, signings. So uh, the divide in the group is even stronger, as in physically, that that week. And it's a saying that's unavoidable, but it's uh, it's never easy. At the end of that season, Matt Spanger goes from Sydney to Hawthorne for the 2013 season. You go from a great coach in John Longmire to a great coach in Alistair Clarkson. What do you remember about Clarko and how did that encounter with the Hawks come about? Yeah, well, it was... Uh, so before I'd, I'd actually got redrafted to the Swans, so I arrived there as a delisted player. But before that draft, I trained with the Hawks, so uh, had had some touch points with with them. And um, look, as a train on, your your touch points with someone like Clarko are minimal. Certainly, it's uh, pleasantries at best. Um, but uh, but what was I got the call? Um, and look, I, again, it was one of those wins where I was happy to stay at the Swans and was lucky enough. Uh, there was a, a one-year offer on, on the table, but I'd had such bad luck with my body that year. I kind of was hoping for two years to try and get it right and 
just wanted time in the game. Basically, it was my it was the theory, and then there was a two year contract from Hawthorne. So that was the basis of the decision, really. Um, and when I got to Hawthorne, uh, it wasn't as if it was oh you're going to be a starting player. It was Brian Lake had just arrived at the club at the same time, and uh, Clarko was basically like, "Oh mate, you are you are backup. Like we love that you can play either end of the ground, but you're not heading, you're not playing ahead of Lake, and you're not playing ahead of Franklin, which is absolutely fair enough." Under, I was at no point under any uh, illusions of where my capabilities were compared to those two players in particular, but uh, but that was okay. I kind of needed to hear. I want to say needed to hear that. I was at a point where I was comfortable to know what my role in the, the bigger machine was of the footy team and uh, but was just pleased to get back and I was like, oh, well, I can just play some footy and just get some continuity going. Now, it was probably very similar entering the Hawthorne system as it was for you when you entered the West Coast system mm. on the back of defeat in a very hungry football club. Yeah, undoubtedly. And, uh, yeah, and we – same sort of thing. Like they, they didn't shy away from it, so we had a – at our, our pre-season camp up in Mooloolaba, we had a uh, like a big meeting. I wouldn't call it a crisis meeting, but it was a bit of a like a uh, on an honesty session. And you know, certainly I've only been there a minute, so was there as a as an observer only, really. But uh, it was really powerful. I, the some of the things that happened. So one in particular. The, the session we ran where the playing group was able to challenge the leaders on some of the things that they they wanted. And uh, I couldn't couldn't believe it at the time. Like you sort of think about it's hard for a young player to get up or, you know, the hierarchy of football clubs. Sometimes those who haven't played a lot of games often find it difficult to speak up in those moments. But um, a guy by the name of Luke Loudon who would just be like an absolute blip on the radar of any football fan uh, – a ripping guy and a good clubman, like to prove that has a eight, I think eight years on a list, plays one game, like is in terms of uh, what he brought to the locker room. But he actually got up and just basically told the leadership group, "Is like you guys walk the walk, you know. So you talk the talk, you don't walk the walk, and um, you expect some things of us in terms of professionalism. You don't live up to. Like just called them on some bullshit, and um, and to their leadership group's credit, rather than going, "Oh, who's this so and so? Like tell us what to do." They adjusted and um, maybe it was the loss that made them like open their ears I'm not sure because I wasn't there beforehand to know the context but uh, we often like the players now who catch up from the Hawks often you know, joke about how important like Luke Loudon was in that moment um, and yeah and even Hodgie laughs like he's like you'll never no one ever, ever wants to hear about Luke Loudon at your sports nights but it was a really important part so um, so yeah and then that, from there um, I mentioned resolve with the uh, with the Eagles before, and there were still elements of that. Certainly, I think statistically, Hawthorne probably shouldn't have lost that grand final. Um, they felt that they were the better team that year. Certainly, filthy, and there was definitely a, a drive of we need to win this in 2013 that that came across and filtered through the whole list, and that came through in our VFL and even the thirds back then. There used to be a thirds, um, so all three teams made the grand final and two of them won it. So uh, it was a indicative of what the attitude of the club was, I think, in 2013. And you got your way into the team and got yourself into the team for the finals. Week one of the finals, a 54-point victory over the Sydney Swans. Mm. You played well, you kicked a goal, but unfortunately through no fault of your own, you didn't hold your spot in the team. Well, back to what we were talking about in terms of, um, you know, who who you're replacing. I actually replaced Bud that week 
due to he got suspended again. We actually played Sydney in the last round in up in SCG, won that game. We played them again in the first final and butted, got suspended. So I held my spot purely based on that. And then uh, I reckon it would have been Monday late morning. Adam Simpson was my was the forwards line coach back then. You walk in, try and do your tape or whatever it was. He's just like, spang, did well, did your job. Bud's playing this week, you're out. Like it was as simple as that. I was like, fair enough. I didn't didn't expect to, it to change. Um, you know, you kind of 5% hope you probably stay in the team, but you also appreciate that that's not the case. Fortunately, as I mentioned, you know, Box Hill had a game, so you can still play footy, put your case forward, and you just never know what happens. And you played in that Box Hill Premiership, so that would have been pretty special. It was. It was uh, It was good fun, actually. Um, it's the first senior premiership that I'd played in. So, um, and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future after that. So for, for that, it was still a pretty special moment in your own footy career to, to be a part of that. And uh, loved playing footy down there like, with the listed guys and the guys at Box Hill. Uh, you know, and we've got our reunion in a couple of weeks, so it should be good fun. And Jonathan Simpkin, he did the double. He played did in both premierships. Well, yeah, as I mentioned, there's always a hard luck story. And unfortunately, Brendan Wycross did his knee in the prelim that year. So, um, but that uh, that always, you know, provides the, the story like uh, like Joffers in that instance where he, you know, he played a really good grand final, won the medal and then... Um, and also was the the perfect sub for for the grand final that year. Now that was the third time you were sidelined as your team won the premiership. How was that different to the other two? Yeah, I suppose this one uh, I was an emergency for this one, and uh, probably the difference is I, I actually, if I was picking the team, I would have picked me as the emergency too. Like I I wasn't filthy about the way it lined up. I didn't think I should be playing ahead of anyone else. And I think if you know that and actually truthfully answer that for yourself. It makes those sorts of things easier to cop. Um, you know, certainly, like, I wasn't going to be the sub who came in for Brennan Whitecross. It's not the type of position. Um, so it was uh, – oh, for me, it was uh, – it was that one was okay. That was – definitely made me hungry and wanted to be a part of it and knew that I was at a place that uh, had the capacity for sustained success and certainly wanted to get in that team. It wasn't as if I was happy just to accept being – uh, out of the out of the twenty two, but um, for that one in particular, I was it was easier to cop. Does Clarko give you any feedback about it, saying you're close, or does he hold your hand through the process so you know exactly where you stand the whole time? Uh, not necessarily. Like there, there's probably um, it depends on your club, but I, like the nature of the way it worked or works mostly is senior coaches because they have such an overarching eye on everything. They don't necessarily have the capacity to run deep relationships with. Well, I'd say non A grade, non leadership players. It's they try to, and they'll always have chats and won't ignore you or anything like that. But um, I suppose the duty of care falls more to the the line coaches. So um, you really need to you rely heavily on those. And guys like Adam Simpson, Luke Beveridge, Brendan Bolton were all line coaches at the time when I was there, and were really great at just uh, keeping you, I suppose, informed of where you sat. Um, and checking in on you didn't have to be anything more than I just like, hey, you're you okay? Like, touch base. But uh, yeah, so in terms of Clarko itself, no. And in terms of that that week, I think you kind of know where you're at anyway. As I said, there's a squad of thirty. You train. You kind of know about it. Um, the most annoying thing is about as is you have to do the grand final parade. It's an absolute. Um, I know it's nice. It's a bit of a novelty, but you feel like a bit of a wanker when you 
getting interviewed by someone, they're like, oh, and you know, like, you know, what happens if you get called up? Oh, man, like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, so you just kind of have to sit in the car and wave. Like, it's a bit of a strange one. Unlike West Coast after they won the premiership, though, there was no dropping the ball for Hawthorne. They came back even hungrier the next year, went on to win 17 games in the home and away season, finished second on percentage. Week one of the finals, you're in the team and you belt Geelong. You set up a prelim with Port Adelaide. And with five minutes to go, the Hawks were going to record a comfortable victory. But there was a twist in the story. The power came charging back and you clung to victory. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I played – I actually played forward in that game and it's probably the worst game I played that year, like you talk about, um, yeah, playing your role. I just don't think I did it well at all. And, um, and they, to their credit, Port, I mean – when the season is over, if you don't throw anything on the line, they just pulled all the tricks out of the bag. And some of the stuff that they were doing, you can't do anymore based on the 666 rules and things like that. But um, we just didn't know how to combat a lot of it. I mean, for example, they started all their half forwards off the back of the square and just would charge through. And it's confronting when you haven't seen that before. Um, you know, often when the games are like that, you might equalise, but um, there's only so much you can do when a team's got wave numbers coming at you. So it's very interesting and um, you talk about players in special moments and like key players, you know, Hodgie has a pretty important, uh, I think it was tackle smother and then Brian Lake, the same thing on the uh, on the outer wing. Like they, they were definitely charging. The game went for another couple of minutes. Who knows what might happen. But the important thing is the Hawks got the job done and secured a grand final showdown with the Sydney Swans. Now in your own words, I'm not saying this is what you just said, you didn't play your greatest game. Mm. How anxious were you? You were going to get the tap on the shoulder to say you've been dropped for the grand final. Uh, I was. I don't know if I was. I'd oh, say medium, medium level of anxiety. But um, and look, and this is uh, you talk about all the things that some coaches really get. Clarko, to his credit, that week he rang me Monday night, right? So um, when I thought I wasn't anxious, you go like, oh, maybe after review, you know, we we'll go back a step. Hawthorne do their back then did their things a little bit differently. So your review was Monday afternoon and would often end like 5 p.m. So you'd drive, you'd drive straight to a dinner. Guys would often go out and get dinner on Monday night. And I remember coming home and then I got the Alice Clarkson on the phone. Now, um, now those people who play football, like, it, normally it wouldn't be an issue to, to hear from the coach, but if, in that circumstances, the coach is probably calling you to tell you about that you've been dropped. Like that is, don't have those calls. Like Clark is not calling me to see how my weekend was basically. <laughs> um, so when I saw his name, I was like, oh, far out, here we go. So for that, you know, eight seconds while the phone's ringing, I'm staring at his name on the phone. And then I ring him and to his credit, he was just like, Spang, I'm just telling you, you're playing this week. He's like, relax, enjoy the week. You look too wound up on the weekend. Wrap your head around it. You're in. Um, and... You know, there's lots of things that Clarko does really well and, you know, there's certainly things I'm sure he as a coach could improve on. But for me, that was a really important moment. You talk about your capacity to wrap your head around it. You, like, just automatically relax. And by the time I'd wrap my head around it, like, the, all the formalities of the week had sort of happened and then then I knew I had a job to do. So um, always very thankful to him for the opportunity but also the manner in which he went about that week with me personally. Um because, yeah, I think it was uh, it helped me prepare and play play my role in the day. Getting that phone call, excitement or relief? Uh, oh, immediate relief, I'd say, and then uh, 
pretty pretty good excitement. So then you do the parade this time around, totally different feeling to 12 months ago? Yeah, yeah, you didn't feel like such a loser waving around. You actually thought, well, at least I'm going to be out there on the park tomorrow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was different. It was definitely a different feel. Now, I think what gets forgotten is the fact the Sydney Swans went into that grand final as a red-hot favourite. The Swans were in great form. Obviously, you survived the power the week before but probably didn't go in with the form you did 12 months ago. Internally, was the group just as confident as ever or did you realise you were up against a genuine team in the Bloods? Oh, we were really confident. The uh, That's not to say we didn't respect and appreciate who we were playing, um, but we were definitely confident. We, we looked at it, um, you know, Pretty simply, the, the way the message was sold to us from the coaches was that they've probably got better superstars, but our bottom six are better than their bottom six and it takes all of us to win today. Like that was kind of the overarching philosophy on the day. Um, and then other guys had different motivations, admittedly, like with uh, you know, Bud had gone to Sydney over that off-season. Um, you know, no one took that more personally than, than probably Clarko. Like he, he really loved Bud and I'm sure he still does, but he wanted him to stay. So, um, you know, and there were some some guys who were really good mates with Bud who wanted to make a point that day. Um, and I think also it can't be lost that they were filthy about 2012. So you add all that up for that group. Um, certainly I was new to that. was only my second year at the club at that stage. So the, the legacy of all those emotions, I probably didn't have that strong attachment to as some of the other guys on the list. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we certainly – we're confident going the day. Josh Kennedy kicks the first goal of the day for the Sydney Swans. Then after that, it's all Hawthorne. Yeah, I still I still remember uh, the goal, but even the nature in which he got the goal, like the first sort of few minutes were the ball's pinging around a bit. Um, but uh, like I didn't feel like it was a oh my god they're overwhelming us. We've we've don't have control of the game. I felt that we had control of the game even at that stage. And then um, you're right. Then yeah, it was we played some pretty remarkable footy after that. And where did the penny drop that you are going to be a premiership player? Um, probably wasn't like a time where I actually felt relaxed enough to go, wow, let's just enjoy the last bit. was um, uh, Sean Burgon kicked a goal in the last quarter and um, a good mate of mine from the Sydney day, Sam Reid, I was playing on him at the time and as we were walking back, just shook my hand and said, congratulations, mate, you're a premiership player, which was a nice feeling. But you just like, you look at the clock, look at the score, and you're like, yeah, they're, they're not coming back from here. But... Um, which is ridiculous because I think everyone who I speak to tells me that game was over at halftime and then, you know, it took me a quarter and a half to figure that out. But it's very different when you're playing and it's easy to sit at home and say the game's over, but we've seen so many sporting contests, it's not over till it's totally over. Now, I was there that day and I heard lots of loud cheers. The loudest cheer that day was when you got announced to get on stage for your premiership medallion. How special was that? Yeah, pretty special. I mean, I... uh, Look, I didn't play that many games after the grand final. I certainly hadn't played that many before it. So uh, for me, it was always what I wanted to get out of my footy career. And, um, you know, to, to do that on that day was pretty special. To do it against some old teammates and friends as well, strangely for me, made it more special being against the Swans. Uh, yeah, look, the crowd was very generous with their with their voice. I still think Cyril gets the loudest cheer no matter what. <laughs> but... Um, no, but honestly, it was it was great. The yeah, the Hawthorne faithful were always very nice to me. No, it was absolutely sensational. How did you celebrate that night? Uh, well, you yeah, initially it's pretty boring. You do all the formalities. Um, when I say boring, that's that's undercutting it a little bit. But um, well, you have to. We have 
the concert that's on at the uh, the G afterwards, so you have to hang around till then. A few guys have got drug tests like to do, so they're waiting around trying to pee in bottles and then uh, Brian Lake in that instance has pinched the MCG golf cart and is cutting laps in the background. So like, there was some fun <laughs> stuff that was going on. Um, and then – but then you go and you go do your function – uh, you get paraded out on stage a few times, which is, you know, really nice. It's nice to be on the stage rather than watching it, I suppose. And then, uh, yeah, and then after that, then it's um, – then uh, then we just – I think the club had organised, you know, just a, a – there was a bar – I forgot the name. There was a bar at Crown that we just sort of sat in until the early hours and then we all – the uh, the tradition is that you go to Ruffy's house in the Sunday morning to um, be there for the Channel 9 – Sunday footy show filming, so and Croft comes over and um, tries to talk to you. But look, I um, have forever. Whenever I don't get any sleep, I lose my voice. So um, uh, and you know, then a bit boisterous with the with the yelling and things like that when you're celebrating. So I rocked up and just had no voice. So I was absolutely useless on Sunday. And then we had to go straight from Ruffy's house to Glenferry Road and. They wanted to get me up on stage and I just couldn't talk. Like it was just embarrassing. So <laughs> just <laughs> not audible at all. But we um we could get through it and yeah, enjoy it. But the the week is uh is chock full of uh that's probably one thing I uh I knew about, but it's hard when you actually wrap your head around doing it. They're they're all good things, but you know, we you've got that, then you've got uh signing sessions, reviews, you gotta do you you actually gotta check off with the physios and all that sort of stuff, make sure you get your programs for the off-season. That's all got to be done in enough time. But then we went down to Tassie on a Wednesday to parade the cup down there. Uh, and then you're back Thursday for final signing session, do all that memorabilia, like it's about two-hour signing session into a last meeting and then Friday's the best and fairest. So, uh, <laughs> you, yeah, your whole week is hectic mm. and you're running on not a lot of sleep on every single moment. Um, so... By the time the, the Saturday comes, a lot of guys are actually on a plane, you know, first thing Saturday morning overseas. And then um, I was no different. My sister lives in San Diego, so I went to visit her. So like by the time you just get on the plane, you're just like relieved almost to, to step away from the chaos. It's all done. You can take a deep breath and just let it soak in. Now, 12 months later, the Hawks once again win the flag. Again, this year for you hasn't been blessed with good luck. What was it like watching the year after? And was it any different to the previous three where you'd sat out? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, it was probably uh, I wasn't as wasn't as hurtful, I suppose, as the world. It didn't hurt as much as missing the Sydney one for whatever reason. But I remember being uh, disappointed. And again, it was that way because I'd been out there, because I'd done it, because I contributed, and I honestly believed that every time I was fit enough, like I was playing good, contributing footy in that in that side. Um, yeah, but at the same time. You know, you've won one. It was – and body was shot. We played the grand final the week before against Williamstown at Box Hill in 2015 um, and I was I was so bad. So, like, it didn't warrant coming into the side anyway. So, um, so you kind of knew but it was uh, – yeah, well, that was a – that was a shitty year in terms of injury. With all the injuries that you have and other sportsmen have – as fans, we don't really appreciate it. We just see they're out there, we presume they're fit. But take away, take into account the physical pain, the mental challenges, and the fact that you lose all continuity. Some of the challenges throughout your career, we probably don't even begin to underestimate how hard it was for you to play as many games as you did. Yeah, at times I, I'd, um, 
I think the continuity is a hard one, especially towards about when they're soft tissues where it's just constant start, restart. Um, I actually found it uh, mentally a lot easier to deal with injuries which were surgery-based where you knew you were missing four months. You're like, well, whatever, that's the timeline. I can deal with that. The ones where it's like, oh, it might be four weeks, could be eight. You're like, well, obviously I want it to be four. So you try and do everything you can and as soon as you get a setback, there might be five or you push it because you've been told to push it and it doesn't work, yeah, it can it can grind you down a little bit. Um, and then, you know, after, you know, after your fifth or sixth hammer, you're just like, I don't actually know what to do anymore because you've, you're you trusting everyone that you're doing the right program and you, you yourself believe you're doing it. Um, so when it doesn't work, it's, it's hard to cop sometimes. When you look back on your career, how important is that premiership so you look back with a smile on your face and the story did have a Cinderella ending as opposed to what could have been and what I was what cost me because of these injuries? Yeah, it undoubtedly uh, makes me look back on footy, I think, with uh, more fondly than I would have. I, I don't think I would have hated my career by any stretch. I really enjoyed, even through all those difficult times, I still enjoyed the process and the mateship and the relationships formed. Um, but it definitely provided some level of vindication on probably all the hardship and not just that, but all the work and then even, you know, the extension to your family and friends who probably ride those 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 bumps with you a little bit. Um, so it definitely uh, helps. I'm, I'd be lying if I said that it didn't, uh, even in the staying in football now, um, credibility is probably the wrong word, but it certainly it allows you to have a conversation, you know, with players um, you know, first, second year players can be pretty harsh sometimes and they don't even know you've played. Um, they're like, oh, you've only played, you know, 50-odd games. Like, whereas they want to, they expect to be coached by the person who's played 300. The irony of that is some of the best coaches I've had either haven't played a lot of games or they've played none at all. Yeah. But that's, uh, you don't learn that until you've been in the system too long, I think. Um, so it's just, a, it's a fascinating dynamic, but you're right, it probably does help me look back a little bit more fine than I otherwise would have. Now, you're the perfect person to ask this because you've been on both sides, you've played in a premiership and you've been on clubs that have won the premiership and you didn't play. Do you think every player should get a premiership medallion if you're on the list like they do in the NFL or do you like the fact it's the players that play on game day? Yeah, I, I think game day. Um, I like to think that, uh, I mean, we've spoken about how I was emotionally. You know, you think about if someone actually gave me a medal after those, like the Sydney one and the – well, actually, all three. I mean, if you gave me one for the West Coast one, I was a borderline water boy that year. Like, I, I didn't train at all for most of the year. It would have been, you wouldn't actually, it wouldn't value, you wouldn't value it, I don't think. And then the Sydney one, it'd, you'd almost be bitter towards receiving it, I think. Um, I think it, I know it appears harsh, um, but I honestly don't believe that anyone who would, didn't play on the day would really want it. I mean, um, I think the better people to ask are almost those who have played in grand finals and played low minutes. So yeah, I know Luke Parker, you know, very proud that he played in the 2012 grand final but came on as a sub and um, he himself is striving to get back and win another one because he doesn't quite feel whole by that that medal. Cam Mooney often jokes about um, the, yeah, North the, the North one that doesn't really count to him. And I think that is probably more indicative of the football psyche in terms of contribution is more key on the day rather than the collective. Well, Matt, you showed tremendous resilience throughout your career. You had a lot of setbacks, a lot of injuries. You went on to play 56 games and you were part of five premiership winning teams, winning the 2014 premiership. 
And during your time at Hawthorne, you built an association with Luke Beveridge, who is now your boss because you're working for the Western Bulldogs <laughs> under Bevo. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, footy, all like anywhere in life, really, it's mostly about relationships. And Bevo was my line coach in that 2014 season. Um, had a great working relationship with him then. I've often kept in touch and, you know, certainly pleased of how, he's, how his coaching career went. Certainly the early days of the Dogs, they win in 16. You know, you couldn't have been happier for, for someone like Bevo, even though they knocked us out of the finals that year and effectively ended my career because I didn't play the following year. But so stoked for someone like that. And then just the nature of footy, you know, you cross paths, opportunities open up and, um, yeah, lucky enough to be working with him once again and loving it. How, how far do you see the coaching going? Could you see yourself one day being a head coach? <laughs> At the moment of this conversation, I think I'm pretty content with the assistant role. Uh, it's a different kettle of fish, the coaching, the senior coaching role. You, I think you need to be uh, wired a little bit differently. I'm not saying I'm not going to evolve into that person, <laughs> but at this point in time, no. We love Bevo. He's a bit of a mad scientist at times. Tell us something about Bevo that we probably don't ever see in the public eye. Oh, I'm trying to think. He's pretty open in like what he, like what he reveals about himself, I dare say, is... Uh, is pretty good. One thing that I love about Bevo is he's so vigilant with his, it sounds like his own um, personal physical exercise routine. He is on the rowing machine because he's got, uh, he's had a hip replacement, so he can't run. And he's on the rowing machine every morning, like, absolutely going like a madman. Like, so, um, and I reckon that is typifies his personality, like everything he's done, you know, with it, with intensity and purpose. Nothing is by accident. So, um, yeah, I love that. I love that about Bev. He's, but he's definitely like the the mad scientist you, you you speak of. He's also a combination of, you know, like a Hawaii surfer kind of relaxed vibe. He loves his eighties pop references. Um, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a favourite film of his. Like so, all those things that uh, I enjoy about Bevo, we can have good laughs about. No, you're an absolute superstar. We've loved this chat, Matty. We're going to end with two questions. Best sledge you ever heard on the footy field. Uh, best sledge. Uh, I don't know if it counts as sledge, but I mean, when Juddy left the Eagles, he came back and played um, played us over at Subi Oval and uh, Juddy famously had to have um, his shoulders taped because he had pretty bad shoulders. And Brett, Brett Jones, uh, for whatever reason, thought he'd poke the bear and, you know, tell Juddy to put his head over and test the shoulders out to win a hardball or whatever and without uh, missing a beat. Juddy snapped back and goes, mate, my shoulders are F from carrying you blokes for the last five years. So um, that was pretty f- – I enjoyed that. That was pretty funny. Uh, and sums up Juddy like so quick. Pretty witty man. Doesn't miss a beat. What about the best spray you ever heard from a coach? Uh, best spray. Um, well, Brian Lake famously lost his mind against North Melbourne in 2014 and tried to kill Drew Petrie and gave away a couple of 50s in that. And then after that game, yeah, I mean, I can't even remember what we lost and I can't remember what anything else in that review was about other than Clarko just spraying Brian Lake <laughs> um, and for just basically being an idiot. Um, and Lakey just is water off a duck's back kind of character. which was just like, yeah, yeah, no worries. But like, it was just so funny. But like everyone was, like, if that had happened to me, you'd almost like, want to dig a hole and he just didn't care. So... Um, that was probably the most intense spray, but like, um, so the angrier added, the angrier Clarko got, the less he cared. So Clarko got even angrier. Yeah, exactly, he wasn't exactly. Just a revolving door, but like Clarko's got some famous ones of just getting worked up over 
over and over. And even before he'd have sprays, like he'd um, one review, we came in, he'd say, like walk in, goes, oh, I hope. Put your helmets on, boys, because I'm throwing grenades today. Like, and then you just like everyone slowly like creeps down their chair a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, it was always it was always to make us get better on the on the footy field. But um, I don't think I did anything enough anything offensive enough on the footy field to ever be a recipient of a spray. I'm sure in the coach's box, some words might have been said about some of my capabilities. But um, oh, I think yeah, it's funny. I think players or coaches, I get more passionate about. Um, players who they know can be the best version of themselves and they're not quite there. That's the only time I've really seen coaches get really frustrated. If someone's trying to do the right thing and they stuff it up, uh, most coaches can wear that. It's uh, it's probably more about miss that the the effort gap between what your, your best and worst can be that really gets coaches rolled up, I think. Well, Matt, we've loved having a chat. Well done on a fantastic career. Polish that premiership medallion and good luck at Doggies training today. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate it. Hey lads, a guy in the community reckons we take the overs. Do we trust him? Well, his username is Big Stats Guy. Say no more. Connect with a community of like-minded punters only in Labrox communities. T's and C's apply and available on website. What are you really gambling with?